to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul speaking, he writes, Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet, as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is only one Lord, or one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we for Him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we live. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge. For some... With consciousness of the idol, until now, eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. But food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. But beware, lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols and because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died for when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience you sin against Christ therefore if food makes my brother stumble I will never again eat meat lest I make my brother stumble now while you stand I'm going to read it in a different translation I don't usually do this, but in this sense, I will do that. I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. It's a a very, 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 very much more modern version, if you will. Um, Reads in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. It says, now, and you can follow along in your Bible and, and kind of see how this kind of plays out. Now regarding, verse 1, your question about food that has been offered to idols. Yes, we know that we, have all, we all have knowledge about this issue. But while knowledge makes us feel important, it's love that strengthens the church. Anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much. But the person who loves God is the one whom God recognizes. So what about eating meat that has been offered to idols? Well... We all know that an idol is not really a god and that there is only one god. There may be so-called gods both in heaven and on earth and some people actually worship many gods and many lords but for us there is one God, the Father, by whom all things were created and for whom we live. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things were created and through whom we live. However, not all believers know this. Some are accustomed to thinking of idols as being real. So when they eat food that has been offered to idols, they think of it as, a, as the worship of real gods and their weak consciences are violated. It's true that we can't win God's approval by what we eat. We don't lose anything if we don't eat it and we don't gain anything if we do. But you must be careful so that your freedom does not cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. For if... if Others see you with your quote-unquote superior knowledge. Eating in the temple of an idol, won't they be encouraged to violate their conscience by eating food that has been offered to an idol? So because of your superior knowledge, a weak believer for whom Christ died will be destroyed. And when you sin against other believers by encouraging them to do something that they believe is wrong, you're sinning against Christ. So if I eat... So if what I eat causes another believer to sin, I'll never eat meat again as long as I live, for I don't want to cause another believer to stumble. Father, here I have read this passage in two different versions in order to 
help us to, at the outset, get a good understanding and a grasp on what it is that Paul was sharing with the believers there in Corinth. And I pray, God, that you would help us to glean from his words, Lord, not just to a church some 2,000 years ago, but for our church today as a corporate body as well as us individually. What is it that you're going to say to us? How is it that you're going to affect our hearts? What will you do in us spiritually today, Lord, that we will allow you, Lord, to do a work? I, I pray, God, that we all offer ourselves before you right now. Lord, there, there might be unbelievers in here. There, I know that there's believers in here, but there may be unbelievers in here that don't have a relationship with you. I pray, God, every single one of us can, can honestly say, you know what, here's the thing. I'm going to lay myself out there. I'm going to open my heart up, and I'm going to just allow God to do a work in my life today. Believers and non-believers. And I pray by the end of the message today, Lord, that those who don't know you will come to know you. Those who do know you in this place, I pray that their, their faith is strengthened and that they can walk out of this place knowing you better. Walk out of this place knowing how they might represent you better, Lord, on a day-by-day basis. And whatever sphere of influence that each one of us have in this room, that we would rightly represent you as a light into a dark, dark world sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to a lost, lonely, and hurting world. May we, Lord, present you, Jesus, as we leave this place today because we've been encouraged here today by your word. So, Lord, I lift up this time to you, this message in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Paul writing, he says, Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we have knowledge, but knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. An idol is anything that one would worship as a god. Someone would worship as uh, the, the affection of their life, the, 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 the goal of their, of their existence. You know, uh, We look at idols and we would think, Maybe as we read it in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 as, uh, you know, some little stone or wooden object that would be set up in a home. And rightly, that would be the case in many instances. Sometimes that was the case. Sometimes it was a little idol. You know, God speaks through, you know, uh, Isaiah saying, hey, you know, they carve out of a piece of wood. Uh, you know, a, a little idol that has eyes, but it cannot see, and ears, but it cannot hear, and a mouth, but it cannot speak. And they bow down to it. But out of the rest of the wood, they throw it in the fire for, for, for heat, you know. Or, or they, they, they do something else with it. They make a tool out of it. Out of the same wood comes forth an idol, and then something that is nothing sacred whatsoever. In other words, what they're doing is they're creating something that they have a need in order to bow down and worship because they've either been told or they feel in their own heart that they have to worship something or someone. I believe that Paul, when he, when he went into the Areopagus, we talked about this quite a few weeks ago, but as he went into the Areopagus and uh, there at Mars Hill, as he's walking in and he, he's going and he sees all these you know, uh, idols, all these statues to the various gods. And he comes to the one that says, to the unknown God, he says, that's the one I want to talk to you guys about. And he begins to go in a very intellectual way and, and speaking to the people on a, on, a, on, a, on a very intellectual and academic you know, platform because those were the men that he was speaking to there on Mars Hill. They were the thinkers of the day. But he was looking at that one unknown God and he kind of became pretty crafty in the way that he you know, presented that. He says, you know, I see that you have all these statues and these idols to God's. And, and, you know, they bowed down to him, obviously. But there's one here that you have that says to an unknown God, he is the one I want to talk to you about because he's the one that 
you have to know. You've got to know. You've, 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 you've got to be introduced to because he is above all other gods. And so he uses that as an opportunity to present the God of heaven. God the Father, the creator of the universe, the God that we serve, the God that we ascribe to. Here's the thing. He uses it as an opportunity to present the true God. And so sometimes we look at and we consider in our mind that an idol is a little statue. Or maybe it's a carved, you know, uh, you know beautiful marble piece, you know. But it's not always that case. An idol can be anything. You might sit there and go, yeah, well, it's good that we don't have those things today. It's good that we don't struggle with idols today. But I think that all of us can struggle with idols. Idols can be money. Idols can be relationship. Idols can be phones. Idols can be electronics. Idols can be games. Idols can be a sport. Idols can be sewing. (laughs) It wouldn't be for me, but I mean it could be for some of you. An idol can be whatever it is that you just can't live without. Think about it for a second. If there was something that you really, 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 really have to have in your life, what is it? Each one of us have those little things in our life. What if it was taken away from you? Now, you might confidently and and almost arrogantly sit there in your seat and say, well, I could do without it. But, But maybe you're like an alcoholic that sits there and says, I can stop anytime I want. Or somebody who's addicted to maybe tobacco. I can stop smoking anytime I want. When in all actuality, if you take their cigarettes away for like four hours, they're like, ah, well, how's, how's it going? You know? How are you doing? I can stop anytime I want to, but give them back to me right now. You know? And, 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 and so you've got something that you're addicted to. You've got something that you are, you can't live without. That's an idol. It's an idol. And, and so, here's the thing. An idol is anything that you place in your life that is important to you and even more important to you than the Lord, even. It's an idol. Uh, Paul, he, he speaks about idols back in this day. In context of what he's talking about, he's talking about that there's a lot of those there in Corinth that were ascribing to and bowing down to these carved stones these carved pieces of wood. And he was, he was referring to them uh, on this level. And there was much, you know, uh, many items that would be offered to the idols. And he even talks about if there was meat offered to this particular idol, would it make that meat defiled or would it make it nothing? I mean, is, does it mean anything? Uh, and... But before he gets into it, he, he wants to address something. He says, now listen, this is a subject matter, not just for those back in Corinth, but it's a subject matter that we even we today in Calvary Chapel Christian Fellowship, July 3rd of 2016, if my sister's listening to this right now, happy birthday, Denise. Everybody say happy birthday, Denise. It's my sister's birthday. All right, now I'm going to have her, now she has to listen to this message. And so it, here's, you know, on this day, you hear this message. On this day, you, you uh, are, are, are hearing what is, is, is being spoken. And the thing is, is that what I want to I address, and I, because I threw my sister's name in there, I just threw my brain off of what it was that I was going to talk about. But I, so I'm going to get back into my notes because that was a little bit of a rabbit trail. Here's the thing. Knowledge and love. The thing about this is that what, and this is what I was going down, and it is a part of my notes, what we can do is that we can, what they would struggle with then and what we can struggle with now, is that we can become, what we would think, so smart. So smart. So knowledgeable that we think we have it all figured out. 
And, and Paul wants to address this issue right away on the beginning, at the beginning of this chapter, so that he can really deal with the heart of the matter. But let's deal with this first. He opens this chapter up. He says, now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. We know that we have knowledge on this stuff. But know this, knowledge puffs up, love edifies. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Now, is Paul saying, if knowledge puffs up and love edifies, shall we forsake knowledge for love? Shall we just cast out knowledge? Well, I don't think so. Uh, if you, you can turn with me there. I know that I'm going to be pressing time here, but you can turn with me to, uh, to uh, Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. All the way, if you go to, all the way back into, you know, where the Psalms, it's the biggest book of the Bible, you know, you go to Psalms and you just go right and you'll find Proverbs right there, right next chapter, right next book. Very next book. Proverbs chapter 1. I want you to see this actually. Proverbs chapter 1. I'm going to read a little bit from here. I want you to hear. We're talking about knowledge. Should knowledge be forsaken? Is Paul talking about knowledge being forsaken for the sake of love? Do we, do we only emphasize upon love and forsake all knowledge? Well, listen to what Paul, or listen to what, uh, is that what Paul's saying? Let's listen to what Solomon says. It says in verse 1 of chapter uh, 1 or Proverb 1, it says, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, that's who wrote it, he says, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. That's the purpose of him writing all 31 chapters of Proverbs. He says, a wise man will hear and increase learning. A wise man or a man of understanding will attain wise counsel to understand a proverb and an enigma. The words of the wise in their riddles also. And then he says something here. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so then he begins to plead with his own son. Solomon pleading, the wisest man ever to live, begins to plead with his own son. And he says, my son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother. For they will be graceful ornaments on your head and chains about your neck. And then he goes on and he says, listen, if sinners entice you, don't go with them. And he talks about various ways that sinners will try to entrap you to get involved in the things that they're doing. And then he calls, in, in, in verse 20, he says, Wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open squares. And so he's likening wisdom as unto an individual, if you will. Wisdom is crying out, calling aloud. She raises her voice in the open squares. She cries out in the chief concourses. At the openings of the gate in the city, she speaks her words. And here's what wisdom says, Solomon says. He says, this is what wisdom says to the simple ones out there. This is what wisdom says to you, to, to, to me. He says, how long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scornings, scorning, and fools hate knowledge. You hear what that just said? Fools hate knowledge. Is knowledge bad? Well, not according to Solomon, not according to the Word of God. Turn at my reproof. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you because I have called and you refused. I've stretched out my hand and no one regarded because you disdained my counsel. So what's he saying here? He's saying wisdom called out to those that were open to hear. And as they heard wisdom talk about the knowledge of the Lord, they go, I don't want that knowledge. I, don't, I disdained that kind of counsel. That's like, that's like me standing up here, not that I'm wisdom, but that, that I'm standing up here in, in a figurative way saying, 
the word of God says this, and you say, I don't care what the word of God says. I don't care what the word of I disdain what the word of God says because it limits me from being everything that I want my life to be. And what wisdom is crying out to people saying, listen, I would pour out my spirit on you if you would. I'll make my words known to you. But because I've called and you refused, I've stretched out my hand and no one regarded because you disdained all my counsel and you'd have none of my reproof, then I'm also going to laugh at your own calamity. And I will mock when your terror comes. When your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they'll call upon me and I will not answer. They will seek me diligently and will not find me. Why? Because. Why? Because. They hated knowledge. They hated God's Word. They hated the knowledge of God's Word. They didn't choose the fear of the Lord, it says, verse 29. They would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way. And so what I see wisdom saying is that if you're going to disdain me, if you're going to disregard me, wisdom, God's wisdom, even though God wants to pour His Spirit out on you, His wisdom out on you, if you disdain it, in your day of calamity, and you're going, all right, how come I'm in this day of calamity? And you're not bowing your heart to the Lord. You're not bowing your knee to the Lord. You're not repenting before God because you disdained His counsel. But you're just upset because you're going through a difficult time. Do you think that you're going to be helped in that time? No. You and I are not promised a cush life. We're not promised a cush life. And especially if you're walking apart from the Lord and you're basically shaking your fist at God, do you think God's going to go, well, you're shaking your fist at me, I'm still going to bless you? No, I don't think so. Not, not according to what wisdom is saying. Wisdom saying, no, when you cry, cry out to me, I'm going to laugh at your calamity. Now, is that hard to hear? That is hard for me to hear. A few things that are really hard for me to hear in heaven or in, in Scripture. This is one of those things that are hard for me to hear. Really? Laugh at my calamity and mock at my terror comes? You brought it on yourself. I bring it upon myself if I'm taking God's word and I'm saying, I'm going to do it my way. This is the true Frank Sinatra mindset. I did it my way. You know, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to be my own God. I am going to, I am, I am. And, and, and here's the thing. You fall into a trap. And wisdom's saying, don't fall into that trap. He, he goes on, he says, listen. They're going to eat the fruit of their own way. They're going to be filled to the full of their own fancies. Verse 32, For the turning away of the simple will slay them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But, but is a, is a, is a, is a, a word that, 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 that gives a, an opportunity to switch thought, isn't it? Conjunction, junction, what's your function? But, this is what was happening, but, if, look at, but whoever listens to me will do all safely and will be secure without fear of evil. And then he goes on and he says, my son, if you receive my words and you treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding and if you cry out for her for discernment and if you lift up your voice for understanding if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures then then you will find then you will understand the fear of the Lord and you will find the knowledge of God for the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the path of justice. He preserves the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity and every good path when wisdom enters your heart. And knowledge is pleasant to your soul. Discretion will preserve you and understanding will keep you and to deliver you from the way of evil. And it could go on and on and on. But do you understand knowledge is not a bad thing, right? The knowledge of God is not a bad thing. Is Paul saying knowledge puffs up so stay away from it because you only have to have love? Is knowledge 
They're at the exclusion of love. Well, let's look at it the other way. Well, before I go, we all know a person who is a know-it-all, don't we? Let's look at the person who has knowledge. It could be, you know, a a co-worker that you have. It's like any subject that comes up, they know everything about it. Any of you guys have people like that in your life? I don't want you to raise your hand because that person might be sitting next to you. And so this message is for you. Here's the thing. If you think you know it all, you don't. What the Bible says about you is that you feel puffed up when you have knowledge that others don't. And you use it not to your benefit. Well, it's to your benefit, but to the detriment of everyone else because you want people to give you glory. You want to take the knowledge that you know and lord it over the people that you are in you know, uh, you know, in relation with. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a teacher. You know, I, I look at a lot of arrogance in college classrooms today, of of professors that will that will claim to know all things, and mock someone who has the true knowledge of the Word of God. And and they'll 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 be a they'll be a know it all. They'll 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 knock you down as a Christian. And berate you. And it might not even be in college. It could be in high school. And it's coming to a junior high and, and middle school and elementary school near you. It's happening. Where knowledge of the world will puff a mind up to where they think they know better than you. They think they know it all. Maybe it's a parent. Now, the kids that are in here, you're going, oh, good, Pastor Don, go for it right now. Go for it. Because mom or dad are in here, tell them they don't know it all. And maybe they don't. Problem with you as a kid, God's given you as them as your parent. And you need to listen to them. Do they know it all? Parents don't exasperate your kids. Don't think you know it all. You know, a good parent is a parent that says, Hey, when I make a mistake, I come before my son or my daughter and I come before him and I say, Hey, you know what? I blew it. I didn't do the very best right there, did I? And here's how I did wrong. Here's what I did wrong. Would you forgive me? You know, parent, that would go a long way in your relationship with your kids if you would recognize your faults before your kids and let them understand that you don't know it all, that's okay. As a pastor, I'm one of those guys that like to do that myself. You go, you know what? I don't know it all. I've made so many mistakes over the years. And, and I'm, I'm willing to say, hey, you know what, guys? I blew it. I blew it. I've had to do that in relationships at times. Prayerfully, not in, in, in doctrinal issues. Uh, you know, maybe I have. I'm, I'm sure I have. But I, I, I don't ever intend to make a doctrinal mistake. So parent, be willing to, to, to minister to your kids. That's what God's called you to do. And children, maybe it's a child that knows it all. Kids, you don't. You don't know it all. If you think you know it all, that's where contention comes in. Okay? You don't know it all. It could even be a pastor. And, and, and so knowledge, and I've got to hurry up with this, but knowledge will puff up. Knowledge will, will if I have something of, of an intellectual uh, basis, and I think that my knowledge is better than your knowledge, then I intellectually am superior to you. That's why I read the, the New Living Translation. Because it talked about your superior knowledge. And they put it in quotations. It's your own self-perceived superior knowledge. I've got superior knowledge in you. And you're talking down to an individual. That's what Paul's talking about. He's saying, don't talk down to people. Because knowledge, just because you have some knowledge, knowledge puffs up. Puffs up means that you're talking down. When you speak, you speak down. Because you're up. He says, but love edifies. Love edifies. 
The word love here, we, we look at it and we go, now, well, is, is love what it's all about? I mean, we hear songs, love, love, love. Love is all you need. Who sang that? Yeah, heathens. I'm just joking. Listen, here, here I set you up, Bert. I'm sorry. I love you. Here's, I knew someone would say it. But here's the thing. I, I wrote it in my notes, so I'm just as bad as you are. But here's the thing. Is it really? And I sang it. And I sang it. I sang it from the pulpit. From the pulpit. Love, love, love. Love is all you need. Well, see, there, here's the thing. You take this to a, an unhealthy, literal extreme. Love or knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And so, therefore, we have got to be only about love. Only about love. Without knowledge, love is oftentimes defined incorrectly. Some incorrectly define love as acquiescing to anything or anyone's desires, even if it's a destructive behavior. I think of a child playing with a knife. And you as a parent, you look down at your three-year-old and they're playing with a very sharp knife. And you reach down and they're having a good time with it. You didn't know that they had it in their hand. What kind of a parent are you? Listen, uh, you reach down and you grab that knife from them. And what does a child immediately do? They start crying. Why did you take my toy away from me? Well, you, you have knowledge, but you also have love for your child. I, I know that that knife will hurt you. And I love you so much that I'm going to take that away so that you are not injured by it. And so as you remove the knife from the child, from that little two, three-year-old kid, and that kid begins to cry, now... An incorrect usage of love or an incorrect understanding of a definition of love would just say, oh, I've brought, you know, tears to my child's face. You know, his heart is crushed. Oh, son, please don't cry. I love you. Here is the knife back. I mean, now we look at that and we go, that's stupid. But, you know, don't we do that with people who are living in destructive behaviors, whether it be addictions or whether it be things like that, where we, well, you just need this. Listen, we, I had a situation where there was an older woman that was getting beat up by her son. She's like in her 80s. Her son was beating her up. And she called out and cried out. And, and, and my wife and I, we gave her shelter for a season. Put him in jail. He beat his mom. What kind of a guy is this? I went into the house and, and, and wanted him to try to beat on me because in my flesh I wanted to protect his mom. I, I, that does, that, there's certain things that infuriate me, but you take advantage, not just take advantage of an older person, but beat them. And you're going to have a problem. I have a problem with that. And, and when that happened... I, I got in his face a little bit. I wanted him to just try something. Because I wanted him to feel what his mom felt. But he wouldn't. You know why? Because that's what those kind of guys are. Oh, I can beat an 85, 86, 87 year old woman, but somebody that's my size, actually bigger than me, yeah, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. You know why? Because you can hurt me and I don't want to be hurt. Coward. Bully. Here's the thing. Was that right of me as a pastor? No. My flesh would jump out. See, I make mistakes too. But here's the thing. She put him in jail. I want nothing to do with him. I want nothing to do with him. Then he calls her and she takes a phone call. Mom, please, do you understand how bad it is in here? Please come and pay my bail. Behind her back and she goes and pays his bail. Gets him out. What does he do? He does it again. He just keeps doing it. What does she do? She keeps going and, 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 and helping him out, giving him money, going out. She has a restraining order against him. She allows him back into the house constantly. Does he still do this stuff? Yep, still does it. Still does it. He dropped her off 
in her 80s on the side of a road coming back from Dallas one time because she was saying something to him that he didn't like. And he says, shut up, woman. It's her car, her money. He has no job. He's living at home with mommy as a, like a 45, 50-year-old man. And he's berating his mom. I just wish you would die, woman. Would you just please die? This is the kind of words that he would say. He got mad at her one time. He dropped her off on a road and like coming out of Dallas and said, you find your own way home. This is the kind of guy I like to wring his neck. I would. But what does his mom do? Every time, he, every time he came and said, oh, mommy, please, please, please take me back, she'd fork out money. She kept doing, and she kept doing all this. Was that love? No, that wasn't love. She wanted to love her son. She really, really wanted to love her son, but she's, die, she's gone now. I don't even know what's happened to her son. He's probably in prison now. I have to believe he's in prison because he didn't have anybody else to beat up. Point is, when we display love incorrectly, it's not love at all. It's enablement. I look at this, and I've got to hurry. I, I, I'm not going to get all the way through this chapter, but I, I, let's set it up for next week. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Um, love is all you need. Love is all you need. I, I will speak much more in depth after I do much more foundational and groundwork of a church here locally. Um, I, I do want to meet with the pastor. I want to talk with him um, and speak with him on why he is saying the things that he's saying. And this Suncoast Community Church here locally, which I will, like I say, I'll, I'll speak a little bit more on it because it is... Kevin had made a mention this morning. He says, Brett started the conversation and I, I ended up getting involved in, in his devotion yesterday and I basically gave the devotion. Not really, but I spoke mostly. That's a cheap way of doing a devotion. You got it next time too, bud. Um, here's the thing. There are very few things that get me to a point where I'm so riled up that I don't... I don't I have a hard time containing myself. And when we get a pastor from a pulpit speaking blasphemous things to a congregation, not just to any congregation, but to some of his congregation are people that used to be here. And they're hearing it and they're listening to it. Some of them were in leadership here. And I'm going, did you not listen? Why would I bring something up like this? Because it frightened me that you can sit here and listen on a week-by-week basis to what I say on a week-by-week basis as I I try to point you into the Word. I try to, to point you back into the Word and back into the Word and back into the Word. But some of you will leave and you will not get it. You're just not going to, to pay attention to the Word. You're, you're just, you, you come because it's a, it's, it's a it's, it's, I don't know. I don't know why you're here. Listen, I'm not trying to chase anybody away. The point that I'm making is, don't come here because it makes you feel good. Come here because you want to learn. Come here because you want to get into the Word of God and you want to do what it says. And that you know the Bible so well that when you do go to another church and another church begins to spread blasphemy, you go, ha, ha. I can't do this. That's not right. I have to leave. And yet the church grows and grows and grows over there. Because people are not looking at the Word of God and listening to the Word of God. Reading it and listening to it. They've abandoned the Word of God because they don't like the consequence that the Bible details for all who deny a relationship with God through the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ. I don't have time to get into hardly anything more but this one little section, and that's this. Here is a quotation from the pastor. This is his words to his congregation, his 1,600 membership congregation, of which some are formerly our brothers and sisters from this fellowship. 
He says, the nature of God is not justice or truth, but love. I'm going to speak more on this, but he says, the nature of God, let's just stop right there at this sentence. The nature of God is not justice or truth, but love. So the nature of God is not justice and the nature of God is not truth. The nature of God is only love. Because he's saying it's not justice or truth, it's love. That's God's nature. When he brings in the word justice or truth, he's saying at the exclusion of these, it is only love that is God's nature. It's not justice or truth. And yet I see Jesus saying in John chapter 14, you do too, don't you? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Truth, justice, justice is righteous judgment. Is God going to judge? Well, according to what the Word of God says, yes, He will. According to what Suncoast Community Church says, no, He won't. I know I'm calling a church out, and I'm going to go and talk to the pastor. And I'm going to have a much more in detailed message. And you might sit there and think, well, why would you bring these things up of what he said? That's none of your business. No, it is every bit of my business for this reason. I've got people that used to be here over there listening to this hogwash. And the thing is, if they're listening to it, you're susceptible to listen to it. And would I be a good pastor would I be a good teacher if I did not expose the blasphemy of these things? God is, God's nature is justice. God's nature is truth. And God's nature is love. But none of those are at the exclusion of the other. He goes on. Jesus is the represent, representative of the true nature of God. I believe that. I agree with that. But his next sentence is, the wrath of God is an ancient concept consistent with the sacrificial system. In this system, which his church does not believe in, in this system, God is so removed and cannot come in contact with mankind due to the sin of the people. God is angry and he needs to be appeased through some blood being shed. Jesus shed his blood and now God's content this is inconsistent with the teachings of Jesus and the personal nature of a loving God that Jesus portrays. That's his words. It's inconsistent. Jesus never said this. The Bible doesn't talk about the wrath of God. Oh, I don't know. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. That's what he's doing. He's suppressing the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is made known or manifest in them for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and his Godhead so that they are without excuse because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but they became futile in their thoughts. That's futility over there, man. I warn you, stay away from the church. You have friends over there. Warn them that their pastor is a false teacher. Professing to be wise. Or they became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were dark and professing to be wise, they became fools. It's exactly what's happening right here. This isn't an ancient concept. This is the Word of God. The wrath of God is, is revealed from heaven. He's saying, no, no, the wrath of God isn't being revealed from heaven. It's not being revealed from heaven. No. That's an ancient concept. He says this is all inconsistent that Jesus had to bleed, that he, his blood had to be shed for the sins of mankind. His exact words, God is angry and needs to be appeased through some blood being shed. Jesus shed his blood and now God is content. As if he's mocking it. He says this is inconsistent 
with the teachings of Jesus and the personal nature of a loving God that Jesus portrays. I'd take you real quick. Hebrews chapter 8. Pastor Don, you're fired up. You bet your bottom dollar I'm fired up. When I see pastors from a pulpit teaching absolute junk. Proverbs, or Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. He's mocking it. He's mocking the sacrificial system. Let's go on. What does it say in, Rome, in Hebrews chapter 9? Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Verse 23. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ, who are we talking about? Jesus Christ, right? For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but he entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, not that he should offer himself, offer what? His sacrifice. Offer himself, often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another, he then would have to suffer Often, Jesus Christ would have to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he, Jesus Christ, has appeared to put away sins by the sacrifice of himself. And it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. The judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. He was offered as a sacrifice to bear the sins of many. This man does not believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins. He doesn't believe in a literal hell. He doesn't believe it, 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 these things. I don't have time to get into these, but here's the thing. His whole precipice is community and love. We just want to love. And I think Paul's talking about that. I think, I think that we... He's made an idol out of love. But love without knowledge is an abortion. It's an aberration. It's a huge aberration. Knowledge without love is an aberration. It's a huge aberration. Love coupled with knowledge. Paul's saying, don't use your knowledge to talk down to people. But use your knowledge in concert with love and you'll start speaking for the Lord. You'll start speaking as a servant of the Lord. It's obvious Paul's not saying chuck the knowledge because Paul has so much knowledge in 1 Corinthians, doesn't he? He speaks so much knowledge, but what does he do it in? He speaks knowledge in love. He doesn't just focus just on love, but he speaks on knowledge coupled with love because knowledge apart from love is puffed up. Love apart from knowledge is lost souls. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20. Let me read this real quick. He says, Jesus... This is inconsistent with the teachings of Jesus and the personal nature of a loving God that Jesus portrays. Just let me just share this one thing about Jesus. And Jesus says this in his own words. Verse 28 of Matthew chapter 20. He says, just as the Son of Man... Who's the Son of Man? Jesus Christ. Just that, and he, it, These are his words. They're red, so I know that. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. As a sacrifice. Offering it as a sacrifice. His blood had to be shed. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. I, uh, 
I got fired up yesterday. I got fired up a little bit again today. I want to meet with this pastor before I go much further with this. But I want you to know, if you have friends, you need to warn them that that place is a, is a very, very... Have them, don't just take my word for it, have them read the manifesto that he wrote, he wrote and sent to every one member in his church back on February 14th of, 19, of, of 2016. He writes it out himself. He says, this is who I am. This is what it is. This is what I say. This is who we are. This is what we believe here at Suncoast. And there you're, you're hearing little glimpses from different pastors that are saying things. And you know, I was challenged by our guys yesterday. Hey, find the pastors. Find other pastors, local pastors, and go to the guy. I'm going to go to him my first, myself first. Pray for me. Pray for that meeting. I have to believe that other pastors have already come. It'll be interesting to see how many other pastors have met with him. So, um, you know, the situation is is that we, we, we need to pray for that congregation. I love those people over there. I even love this guy. Even though something's happened in this guy's life. He didn't used to believe this stuff. I don't know him. I don't know him. I've talked to him maybe twice in my life. And that, by being introduced to him and talking at a conference that I was at one time, I didn't see any glaring things. But here's the thing. They emphasize love and only love. That's not what we emphasize. We emphasize knowledge coupled with love. Don't use your knowledge of the Word of God to beat other people down. I hope that that's not what's come across here today, that I'm using my knowledge to beat that church down. I'm using the Word of God in love, saying I'm desperate for the hearts and the souls of people that are hearing such rubbish, and it's going to lead to more. How many new people came in today? How many people have gone into that church since February 16th? New people have joined that place. Those are, those are souls that are being lost day after day in the name of the Bible, which he doesn't believe in. It's an, er, it's, it's an errant, non-absolute piece of work. It's not necessarily true. I'll tell you what's true, is what he says. That's a cult. So here, here's the thing. You go, what does this have to do with 1 Corinthians chapter 8? Well, that first statement there in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 gave me an opportunity to get some things off my chest to you as a congregation that I love very much for this reason. Don't Kevin shared it last week. I didn't even get to listen to the message, but I hear what it is that he shared. Do you know the faith? Do you know why you believe? Do you know why Jesus Christ died on a cross? Don't just simply say, yeah, I do. Because those people that were in leadership here would have said the same thing as you are. I'm asking you honestly and openly, and and I'm pleading with you as a pastor, do you even know why you believe? If you don't, dig in. Ask me questions. I'll, I'll point you to the Word of God. I don't want to make it my Word. It's not Don's Word. It is the Word of God. What does the Word of God tell us? And if the Word of God contradicts what Don says, run from me because I am not teaching the truth. If what I say contradicts what this book says, you got to leave. You got to go. You got to run. You got to flee. That was really offensive of what you just did for that church over there. No, it's not. Paul did that. Many times, Paul did that. He, he not only named people, he told, them, he told us what they were doing. And he warned people to stay away from them. Alexander the coppersmith has done us major harm. The Lord repay him for his deeds. I haven't asked judgment to come down on a guy. Paul did. Here's the thing. I'm going to pray, and we will pray as we leave here in the study here today, that, 
that God grabs a hold not just of his heart, but of his leadership's heart. That's what scares me. These are people that use the Bible that, that they're either too afraid to talk to their pastor or the congregation is too afraid to talk to their pastor or somebody is too afraid to talk to him or, they're, or they have become brainwashed. I don't know what the, other, the other answer. I know this couple that was with me was solid. How is it that they became so duped? And if they can become duped, you can become duped. If you begin to listen to a man, if you begin to listen to the person behind the pulpit as the one and only answer, don't you ever do that to me. Don't you ever put me on a pedestal like that. Don't you ever put me on a place of, oh, well, Pastor Don said, I I don't care what Pastor Don says. What does the Word of God say? You dig into the Word of God. Don't put me on that pedestal because, man, I will fail you miserably. You go and you seek out the word. Gang, we are living in a very perilous time. And this kind of junk is going to start creeping into the church all over the place. And you will be persecuted for it. You will be looked at as a person who is non-tolerant. You will be looked at as a person who is not willing to be, you know, inclusive of everybody. Because Jesus is love, obviously includes everybody. No, he loves mankind. But he came to die for sin. Not that we can continue in sin, but that we can recognize our sin, confess our sin, repent of our sin, repent, confess, and, and, and walk away. And turn a different direction. Repentance means walking one way in sin. Repentance means I'm going to turn 180 degrees around and walk away from what it was that I used to be doing. That's what Jesus is saying. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do you know John 3.16? Do you believe John 3.16? I mean, do you really? Do you believe it? Let's say it together. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe on Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Every statement in there has been refuted by that pastor and now by the congregation. That grieves my heart. Thinking, God, I preach as hard as I can. I preach as best as I can. I try to preach as truthful as I can. I never want to bring bad doctrine here. How is it that these people got away like that when they were so attentive? They were in leadership meetings. They were in my home. They were listening to the Word. They got excited about things that we talked about in the Word. How is it that they got duped? How is it? How is it that they chucked John 3.16? How? I don't understand. Do you believe John 3.16? You sink that deep down inside your gizzard and you never let it go, man. Pastor Don, we don't have a gizzard. I know. I know. I know. Sink it down deep into your heart, guys. Listen, God loves you tremendously, but he doesn't want you. He doesn't love you so much that he's going to allow you to change his word. Right? He loves you so much. In fact, John the Revelator says, listen, if anyone comes in and changes the words of this prophecy, let every plague that's written in this book come upon that person's life. I don't want that for anybody. I don't want that for him. I want, I would be excited if they're preaching Jesus Christ over there. I've never had any ill will for anybody that is preaching the gospel. It's not about Calvary Chapel. It's about the church of, the true church of Jesus Christ, of which I think we're just one of many here in Sarasota. Pray for those pastors that are out there preaching the gospel, the true gospel. But pray for those who aren't 
that their eyes would be open and that they would repent before their congregations and show the error of their ways. Father, thank you so much for today. And I, I am sorry if I've become way too impassioned today. I don't think I have. I really don't think I have. If anything, I think I could have even become more impassioned. Because we're talking about your sheep, God. We're talking about the apple of your eye. Those you died for. And to have a man that is supposed to be representing you, misrepresenting you, and leading your sheep astray. Am I not as a pastor, am I not as a teacher to call that man out? If I did the same, would another pastor not be failing at his duty or at his job by calling me out? I do not have all the answers. And I am not perfect. And I do not have a monopoly on what the Word of God says. You know that, Lord. But you have given us your Word. Your Word. It is the standard. Not my word. Not any man's word. May we as a congregation in this place know our relationship with you so well because we have dug into your word and we understand your heart. We understand your word so that when counterfeit statements come out, we are, we are aware and we flee from such things. Or we call out the error. Because, Lord, we're jealous for your people. We love your people. We love your sheep. For I am one of them. And so, Lord, help us to not look down our noses as someone with knowledge at someone. But, Lord, help us couple our knowledge with love to reach out to those that are involved not just in that church. I understand another church has even kind of joined them this last few weeks. Lord, for those that are being duped into putting aside your word, may you open their eyes. May you in the quietness of their own time at their home reveal to them as you have revealed to prophets of old and men and women of old where you have spoke to them directly and said, Flee, what you're hearing is not right. Seek my face in my word. Lord, lead them back to you. For these pastors, and I do not call them pastors, I guess I just did, these teachers that are standing up and teaching things that are contrary to what your word says, I lift them up to you, God, and I pray that you would change their heart. I know if this breaks my heart, I can only imagine what it does to yours. And yet, Lord, you still remain God on throne, and you're not panicking. But, Lord, you still love. Help us to love with that love. Help me to love with that love. Help us to pray for this church. We do. We come before you right now and I lift up Suncoast Community Church to you right now, Lord. I pray that your hand would be involved in the leading of that ministry back to you. I pray every congregation member in that place, every visitor that goes in there does not get sidetracked because of the programs that they might have because of the community mindset that they have but that they can be drawn to you and your word because Lord you've never called us to become a social club you've called us to follow you our reason for existence is to bring glory to you and I pray God for them we pray for those congregants over there the leadership over there draw them to you
May they see you high and lifted up as Isaiah did. On the year that Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. I pray, God, that they see you high and lifted up. And as as Isaiah cried out to to you, Lord, when you said, Whom shall go for us? Whom shall we send? May they, with a collective cry, say, I will send me. Here I am. God, may they hear your voice. May they be drawn to you. And if this does not correct itself, then Lord, I pray that you remove the ministry. But I, pray, I pray, God, for repentance. And I, repay, I pray, God, that they would come back to your word. And may, us, may we never stray. May we stick into your word. May we have a heart to dig into your word and not be satisfied with just what a person says from the pulpit, but that we would be satisfied when the person says from the pulpit what the word of God says, and you can back it up. And so, Lord, I lift that to you, and I pray, God, that if anybody here today, I know this was a really different service. This is not probably not a service that a lot of people have ever been a part of, especially here at Calvary Chapel. I don't know that I've ever really done what I've just done here today. But I pray, God, that if anybody has been caught off guard by this, I just pray, God, that they go before you and ask, Lord, was this really of you? And if so, then how can I pray? Draw me to you. Help me to not be duped. Help me to have a passion for your truth and your word, as this pastor just did today. And so, Lord, I lift that to you, and I pray, God, that you would just guide our fellowship towards you and only you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, God bless you guys. Have a great rest of the day. If you have any questions, um, I don't doubt that I'll probably get a letter or two here. Um, But here's the thing. I do this because I love God's sheep, and I love you. And I don't want you to leave here and and go to a place that would not teach the truth. And uh, so be faithful, man. Be Bereans, amen? God bless you guys. Have a great rest of the day. Thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.